Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The pandemic has hit already struggling rural hospitals with more at risk of closure. But with the Biden administration's focus on broader insurance coverage and new payment models, there may be a path forward for some. We dig into the details on today's episode of GIST Healthcare Daily. It's Tuesday, February 16th, and I'm Alex Olgan with GIST Healthcare Daily, where you get the headlines in health business and policy news in under 10 minutes. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review. It helps other listeners find the show. We'll get right to the show after this brief message. Before hitting the floors of Congress, health policy begins in the pages of Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. Now, Health Affairs is bringing the health policy community new insights through our podcast, A Health Policy. Each week, Editor-in-Chief Alan Weil hosts in-depth conversations with health economists and researchers shaping the big ideas in healthcare today. Subscribe to A Health Policy wherever you listen to podcasts. Many rural hospitals were in a precarious financial position before the pandemic. And research from the healthcare consulting firm, the Chartist Group, finds it's only gotten worse over the past year. The research finds that 453 out of about 2,200 rural hospitals are vulnerable to closure. But there's hope that the Biden administration's focus on addressing health disparities, including in rural areas, can help some of these hospitals. To learn more, I spoke with Michael Topchik. He's the national leader for the Charter Center for Rural Health. So, Michael, a recent report that Chartist put out paints a pretty bleak picture for rural hospitals. How much has the pandemic exacerbated existing problems? Unfortunately, what we have seen, uh, if we look backwards, is an acceleration of hospital closures. We've seen the greatest number of hospital closures just in this last year, 2020, uh, 23. Uh, The year before, we saw slightly less. The year before, slightly less. And as we look back 10 years, it's been this accelerating curve. So not good news. When we look at some of the leading indicators, like operating margin, we've seen you know, roughly a third of rural hospitals operating in the red to nearly now half. So that's, that's greatly concerning. You know, moreover, Alex, one of the things we noted is that even if a hospital stays open, they may not be providing all of the services they formerly provided. So at the same time as we've seen this acceleration, we've seen the loss of key community services like chemotherapy provision or like obstetrics. And it's become quite alarming if you look at the data, the number of obstetric units in rural America that have closed in the same time period. So it's not just hospital closures, it's hospitals that are somewhat um, shells of their former selves. 
And so we did some research uh, using a multi-level statistical regression uh, analysis that shows us that the worst is yet to come. We identified 453 hospitals that uh, statistically are, uh, quote, vulnerable to closure, unquote. So, um, yeah, I think that we're not out of the woods yet. It's interesting, had the CARES Act not come along and the PPP program and things of that nature, we were very concerned that we could lose up to a quarter or maybe even a third of rural hospitals in the last year because another piece of research we shared was that the median day's cash on hand, which is how much money do you have to pay the bills, was about a month, 33 days, I believe. And so uh, it was unimaginable what would happen to these small rural hospitals already operating on razor thin or even negative margins if they didn't have cash coming in and they had very little in the bank. So uh, good news there, a little uh, silver lining in the pandemic was that the CARES Act really did extend a lifeline to these rural hospitals. And in fact, I believe the data will show is going to put them temporarily in a little bit of a positive position relative to, to their previous position. There's a lot of questions in the industry about how that's all going to be reimbursed and paid back. But, but in general, um, it does look like it provided a cushion for at least the short term. As we look forward, um, we're going to be right back, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire once the pandemic's over. The Biden administration is focusing on health disparities across the country, not just based on race or ethnicity, but also between rural and urban areas. Do you think that focus could lead to some bigger scale relief or changes that could really help some of these hospitals become more sustainable long term? Well, I have a lot of optimism. Um, We've heard the Biden administration talk about equity as a a really important issue for them. And uh, I just had the pleasure of participating in uh, a briefing on the American Rescue Plan uh, with with the Biden administration and and a group of folks from all around the country representing various rural health constituencies. And, you know, there was a lot of emphasis on their part as to why they think it's important to focus on rural uh, in their programming. When you think about equity, rural populations are older they are less affluent, they are sicker in general, they tend to have less access to health care, and they also disproportionately are people of color. And so all of these issues of equity uh, couldn't be uh, you know, more directly related anywhere in the country uh, than, than they are in rural America. And so it's wonderful to see the administration really engaging with rural health thought leaders around the country to, to get a better understanding of, of what they might do Uh, And they've already got some ideas on the table that they shared with us, which I think was fantastic. Can you share any of those plans or ideas? Do they go further than what we've already heard from the administration about expanding coverage through special enrollment periods and incentives to expand Medicaid? Specifically, when we think about local hospitals, looking at payment cut eliminations, there are a number of programs and policies that have been put in place for for a number of years that have really had negative impacts on rural providers, and disproportionately so. One is the sequester, for example, and that's meant a 2% cut in reimbursements for for Medicare, which is an important payer in rural areas. And the good news is they tried that out in the CARES Act, and it's really been a big lifeline to rural hospitals. So there's talk about reducing those cuts or eliminating them, and that would be really helpful. Um, Expanding Medicaid, believe it or not, with those 12 states, mostly in the South, still have not done that would be a huge help to rural Americans that those states are very rural in many cases. And I think finally, they talked a lot about capitalizing on this boom we've seen in telehealth and really making sure that telehealth 
um, is not only something that we continue to support, but continue to advance, um, looking at payment reform around telehealth, et cetera. So those were all some really, really good things. The thing that caught my attention more than anything, Alex, was the um, mention of specifically supporting the Save Rural Hospitals Act, which had a lot of detail in it specifically around those 22, 2300 rural hospitals in America and how to support them. I understand that you're referencing legislation in both the House and the Senate that's been introduced in previous years. What would that legislation do for rural hospitals that would be so valuable? They both had similar constructs. And what they basically sought to do was say, hey, maybe this idea of hospital is what we need to rethink, right? I think most of us, when we think of hospital, we think of, you know, the big multi-floor building and we think about going there when you have to have surgery and you spend a few nights in the hospital. And, and, and that's that inpatient side where we always oftentimes talk about heads and beds uh, in the industry. Oftentimes the services rendered aren't in that inpatient setting. So what if we, for the smallest and most rural hospitals, just recognize that and said you could still be a hospital, but you wouldn't be offering that inpatient care. That would be done someplace else. But you would be offering that really critical community care that's necessary for, you know, Susie when she slides into third base and breaks her ankle and she needs the care of comfort. Or, you know, grandpa, when he has a coronary attack or, or, or a stroke and he needs the care, you know, the emergency care. Uh, and he gets stabilized at that hospital and then transported to definitive care. So uh, the, both of these pieces of legislation um, sort of recognize that that's a challenge. And they pave a path forward where hospitals could kind of reinvent themselves uh, as these new centers. They also recognize that that stuff's expensive and they would reimburse those hospitals at a different level. Are you aware of any hospitals already doing this, basically acting as freestanding emergency departments, maybe in a pilot program? Yeah, absolutely. It has been um, piloted all over the place. Um, Georgia put a huge effort into this. They were sort of in the vanguard of some of this hospital closure crisis with their rural hospitals. And they started setting up so-called emergency hospitals. From a financial perspective, you need payment reform alongside policy reform. And that was really the problem. It, it is just prohibitively expensive to offer just those services. Keeping an emergency department open 24-7 is extremely expensive. Uh, and so it is those you know, more acute cases that you cover in your inpatient wing that helps really cover those costs. Given that you mentioned so many rural hospitals have just a month cash on hand and almost half are operating in the red, do you foresee a situation where these hospitals get bought by larger players in nearby urban areas? An awful lot of those small rural hospitals that health systems wanted to buy up have been bought up you know, leaving a lot of others that are independent and they might be in geographically isolated areas or for one reason or another might not be as interesting from a, from a buyer's perspective, if you will. Um, the other thing you have is an enormous number of rural hospitals across the country who are organized through county, uh, county and municipal organizations. So they may not be able to affiliate just due to their own uh, structure and their own, you know, organizational rules uh, and their, you know, their board may forbid it. And so I really see partnering as a lifeline for small rural hospitals. Um, I don't think you need to be owned. I know an awful lot of small rural hospitals that are affiliated, but still maintain their independent boards. 
And so there's a lot of structures out there. But in general, partnership, I think, brings strength. When you talk to rural hospital executives around the country, what are you hearing? Are they interested in some of these reforms you mentioned that the White House and Congress are considering? When I go around and talk to boards and talk to CEOs and CFOs, et cetera, um, there's growing awareness of some of these types of options. Not each hospital is going to be interested in them because they're just happy to be a, more of a traditional hospital. Um, but but there's there's awareness and there's interest. And I would say in hospital associations and other affiliation groups like that, you know, there's there's an awful lot of discussion around policy and about reimbursement and really the challenges um, facing the safety net. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of interest and excitement about the possibility of doing something uh, that could offer some sort of regulatory relief or policy relief, uh, you know, including the creation of potentially whole new categories of, of hospital. That was Michael Topchik. He's the national leader for the Chartist Center for Rural Health, which is a part of the Chartist Group. Thanks for listening to GIST Healthcare Daily. I'm Alex Olkin. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news on GISTHealthcare.com. GIST Healthcare Daily is an independent production of GIST Healthcare. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.